emotional and sometimes there's that something inside of us that wants to be with them but but that's when you have to look deeper like you know in Psalm 73 you know Asaph said man I almost stumbled when I saw the way that those guys were living like the easy life it seemed like everything was going so sweet for them until I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end and so we, there's no reason for us to be envious of evil men or desire to be with them um, because we know that at the end look at what they do their heart it devises violence their lips talk of troublemaking that's just double trouble man so don't even begin to think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence absolutely not they don't have the peace that you have because you're a christian they don't have the love that you have they don't have the life that you have as you seek the lord um, that's he's the one he's all you need look at what we read in verse three it says through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So, you know, in one sense, the, the, there is a practical aspect of it, building a house. Man, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done that. Can you imagine what it would be like building a house? You know, it sounds like something that would be very manly and imagine you know you get to do it custom just the way you want to do it imagine if you built your whole house from the ground up you did everything so that way if something broke down imagine you'd know how to fix it but you you build a house as a man to protect your family from the elements of this world right and you have your home and it's a beautiful thing and so there is an aspect of that, you know, but I think we all know that this is not just talking about that physical house. It's talking about the spiritual house, huh? And how do we build it? Is it with drywall and framing? And is it with that kind of stuff? No, we build a house. It says right here, through wisdom. Through wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it's established and it won't fall. You know, as you learn the Word of God and you learn how to apply the Word of God, you will build a house. And the house is not, you know, physical. Joshua 24, 15, it tells us what the house is. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The house is your family. And as you, you know, you apply wisdom, and there's a lot to it, you know, there's the application of God's word, and there's the right approach, saying the right word at the right time in the right way. There's a lot of things. As we build that house, then it's so cool how it's established and how it just blesses. Notice again in verse 4, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You know, and it's not just the guy who builds the house, in case you're wondering, it's the woman as well. You know, the woman uh, builds the house according to Proverbs 14.1. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman, she tears it down. And so you guys know how it is. We're either building up or we're tearing down. It all is a matter of whether or not we're living life according to God's wisdom, according to the understanding of God's word. Verse 5, it says, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. And so, first question, 
who is really strong? And the second question is why? Why are they strong? And the answer to the first question as far as who is really strong is not necessarily the guy who can bench press all that weight. It's the one, the Bible says, who is wise. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 19, it says, Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. So if you, you know, as far as strength goes, it's the one who, who is wise, right? This man, a man of knowledge, he gets even stronger, right? But, but why are you strong? And then verse 6, it tells us, you guys, because we are in a war. We are in a war. You know, um, as a matter of fact, the Bible says we wrestle. We wrestle. Have you ever wrestled anybody? Some of you girls probably haven't, and that's a good, a good thing. Um, but maybe some of you girls have, and you maybe even beat the boys. Who knows? I don't know how that works sometimes. But I'm telling you what, I used to wrestle, and I think that most guys have wrestled, you know, sometime in their life. And, you know, you, you got to have your moves, of course, but you got to be strong. You got to be strong. We're in a war, and we need to be strong. And the way that we're strong is if we're wise. And so that's why it's so important, you guys, to make sure you're in the Word and you're learning it in context and you're learning how to apply it to your life. It says, for by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. I will tell you this, you know, because we're talking about being wise and we're talking about being in a war. And so part of being strong is listening to counsel. You know, I mean, you don't want to be like uh, Rehoboam. You know, he was a son of Solomon. Think about it. And when his dad died and it was time for him to take over the kingdom, you know, the people came to him and said, hey, your dad was, man, he was so hard on us. If you just lighten the load a little bit, we'll serve you. Everything's cool. But you guys remember what Rehoboam did? He got the counsel of the old guys and they said, hey, listen to them. What they're saying, it makes sense. But he said, no, nah, I don't know about those guys. Hey, what do you guys say? And he started talking to his childhood friends, the guys who were his own age, the guys that were still wet behind the ear. They didn't belong in the administration, but they said, no, you tell them, you know, you're not going to be a weak ruler. You're going to be strong, you know, and your pinky's going to be uh, thicker than your dad's waist and... And what did he do? He wasn't really listening to counsel. He was just waiting for someone to agree with him, someone to tell him what he wanted to hear. And I tell you what, um, the one who's wise, the one who's strong, the one who wins the war, is the one who listens to wise counsel. And it's a blessing when you have not just one or two, but when you have a lot of people speaking into your life. And you guys know at the end of the day, it's not just people, huh? Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The Bible, the psalm says in 119, this is our counselor. So, so listen to it. I tell you what, there's it, it, got to be times in your life when you are directed to do things that you don't really want to do or maybe you were hoping to do something different and God says, no, 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 do it this way. When you, when you listen to that counsel, it's then that you're strong. 
verse 7, it says, Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. Okay, so the gate in those days would be, you know, there the city gates where people would go down there and they would ask for guidance. They would ask for, you know, direction as far as the law goes. It was kind of like our, the equivalent of the city council. Um, you know, in one sense, there were legalities that took place there. So basically, the gate, the city gates, is where the elders were, the elders of the land, the wise men, the ones who were respected. And so what he's saying right here is wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He doesn't open his mouth in the gate. He's not there respected as a counselor because he has nothing to say because he, he's never really, he doesn't get it. When it comes to the wisdom of God, they don't get it. You know, sometimes you have these people nowadays and they tell you, hey, you know, you, why are you in that marriage? You know, they're not making enough money for you or whatever the case may be. And, you know, there's someone better on the side. And then for us as Christians, though, we know what the Bible says, how God hates divorce, right? And so, you know, we, we just seek the Lord and we try to be that husband. We try to be that wife, you know, that God calls us to be. We do things God's way, and what ends up happening, God blesses. You know, the natural man, the Bible says, he doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the fool, this, he doesn't get it. Why? Because he's not saved. Sometimes people, they read the Bible or they listen to a Bible study and it's just like, nah, nah, nah. it's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And a lot of times it's because they need, first of all, to get saved. The natural man, he, it, he doesn't understand it. I remember, and some of you guys, maybe you can relate to this. Before you were a Christian, people would witness to you or people would talk to you. And I remember for me, I did not understand what they were saying. It just went in one ear, out the other. I just absolutely nothing. Why? Because I didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of me. You know, for the fool, and, and sometimes you guys will see it, and you'll be like, you know what? This person doesn't have a clue. They, they, you can pray, and, and, they, and they yawn. You can do a Bible study, and they, they just, it just boom. They're not interested. Why? because they're not saved. And so for the fool, it's too lofty, it's too difficult to understand, and therefore he really doesn't have anything to say. That's why he's not there at the gates. Verse 8, it says, He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer, and devising a foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. And so the doing of, of evil is always a sin, but when you plot to do it, when you plan to do it, it's interesting. Eventually the reputation follows you. The word gets out. You know what? They're, they're a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. You know, when you see these People, basically, they're, they're not just a, a sinner, they're a schemer. They didn't just trip and fall accidentally. They actually sinned presumptuously 
and therefore will be punished accordingly. And that's why there's a big difference between someone who, you know, murders with premeditation and manslaughter. And so we see that in the scriptures in Exodus 21, 12 through 14. You know, what we find is that God is just saying, hey, you know, make sure you guys that... It's interesting, the old King James, it uses the word thought. And so don't even think about it because what ends up happening is you start dwelling on it. If you start feeding those, those thoughts towards sin, um, then you're going to be in big trouble. So you got to make sure you bring every thought into captivity. Verse 10 is an important verse. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I'm just curious. I wanted to ask this question. Have any of you here ever fainted? Like literally fainted? Some of you have, huh? Um, it's a trippy thought, you know? You're, you're there, and I don't know how, all the chemicals, or I don't know the science behind it, but man, boom, you're, you're out. You know, it's one thing for that to happen physically, but for some, it happens spiritually. And in this case, we see it's in the day of adversity. I tell you what, I think we're living in the day of adversity. I think we're living in what the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter 6, in the evil day. You know, and I think there's a general uh, you know, sense uh, of that. Uh, I think we're living in that. But I also think there's a personal sense of that, where someone, where the adversary, he comes against you. I mean, and it's just a, a day, a season that's, that's a lot more crazy than the other times. And so all he's saying right here is he's just stating a fact. He says, if you faint in the day of adversity, then you want to know why? You want to know what happened? You were functioning on your own strength. Your strength is small. Well, yeah, all of our strengths are small. I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much of the Bible or what your position. It doesn't matter. All of us here, Paul the Apostle, same thing. You know, that we're nothing. And so what's the, what's the lesson? The lesson is to make sure that you are always walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. To make sure you are always functioning in the strength of Almighty God. Because when the devil comes, and he will come, if you're walking in your own strength, you will fall. And there's different ways to fall. You know, it's not always like, oh, you know, they disappeared, they fell off the face of the earth. I mean, it, to faint, I know, it might be a splitter, it might be a quitter, yeah. But I, I think it could be a lot of people who maybe even are still in the church, but in all reality, they're not really like, you know, full-on, completely committed and sold out, surrendered and usable in God's hands because they're just there. You know, God wants so much more than that. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and they're telling me about all their experiences and I just, well, that's cool, man, but how's your family? You know, there's a lot of things that we have to make sure that we are not just kind of going through the Christianese and all that comfort stuff, but, but Lord, am I really walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because these days are dark and the devil is stepping it up? Am I 
being faithful to where you have called me to be as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a son, as a pastor. So the day of adversity, we're living in that day, even in our own lives, some days it's worse. My encouragement to you today is to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. My encouragement to you is don't quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't doubt the Lord. Don't disobey the Lord so that he can baptize you with his Holy Spirit and you can be under his influence. Because these are the days that we live in. And if we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be swept away. Verse 11, it says, Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? And so there's, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can apply this passage right here. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. These are people who are on their way to be slaughtered, on their way to die. And I was looking at a lot of different commentaries, a lot of different teachers, and they're talking about a, a lot of different things. Whether it be, you know, children who are dying of starvation, they say 30,000, 35,000 uh, people die are, of starvation around the world. 85% of them are children. If you add the statistics of contaminated water, it just, man, it just it goes off the charts. Uh, they say that dirty water causes the death of a human being every 10 seconds. So, you know, there is that aspect of, well, what are you doing to help those who need to be fed or those who need clean water? You know, there's a lot of different applications, I think, of this verse. Um, another application, uh, which I always think of, is abortion how many children are being slaughtered and that we're living in that time. That's what we're living in now uh, since Roe vs. Wade was legalized, 62 million children slaughtered, uh, 2,362 abortions every day, 98 every hour, one abortion every minute and a half. So Manny, what are you doing to make a difference in that realm? And, and like I said earlier, you know, we're praying. I think really ultimately what's going to keep a woman from, you know, having an abortion is getting saved. But we also have these ministries that we're supporting, you know, the options ministry. That's part of it, you know. And there is, of course, the whole hope of legislation and, you know, voting into office those who are for life, Right. But ultimately, we know that you can't legislate morality. It has to come from the heart. I was reading even of Argentina recently and how you guys know they, leg they, they legalized abortion. It's a horrible thing. But even before it was legalized, you had hundreds of thousands of women that were still getting abortions. So I'm just trying to say, trying to be uh, uh, more effective, more efficient, we got we to see people get saved. Salvation and salt. It's a combination of those things. Manny, what are you doing? Well, um, this is my place in the church. I'm going to pray like crazy. I'm going to fast. I'm going to ask God for wisdom. 
I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to teach the word and hopefully build up the people. And like, you know, Pastor Chuck would always say, the sheep beget the sheep when they're healthy. And you go and you share with your cousin or you share with your friend or you share with your neighbor, they get saved. And there's, you know, three children that just got saved because of that. So there's different ways of applying this verse. Deliver those who are drawn towards death. Hold back those somethings to the slaughter. But ultimately, I think we know that it goes beyond the physical life. When we look out in the world today, what do we see? Billions of people on that slippery slope without hope, heading towards hell. And so what are you doing about it? And some people, nothing. They're not really asking God, well, what's my part? Where, where am I to be planted? Where do you want me to serve, uh, Lord, as a soldier in the war? That's all that it takes. When the church and every single member, every single gift is exercised, and you, we all bring what God asks us to bring, and then the next thing you know, we're, we're preaching the gospel, and we're seeing the Lord deliver those who are drawn to that slaughter. You know, for us, my prayer is that we would warn. Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel 33, the Lord told Ezekiel, he said, hey, you know, if you don't warn them, their blood is on your hands. But if you do, it doesn't matter what their response is, you know, you're, you're good. And so God help us to, to deliver those who are drawn towards death, to not get caught up living our own life. We can't make excuses, he says in verse 12. Well, we didn't know. Yes, you, you did. God knows that you know. He weighs every single heart. And one day, every single person will render to each man, the Bible says, God will render to each man according to his deeds. Verse 13, he says, My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. So eat, eat honey. Um, I don't know really what the consensus is nowadays. Um, I think honey is supposed to be pretty good for you. Um, did you guys know that honey is, it doesn't decay? Like it can be there for 3,000 years. As a matter of fact, the ar archaeologists, they found some honey uh, that was in uh, Egypt. They uncovered it 4,000 years later, and they ate it. It was still good. Something about honey is a little different. So he's saying you eat it, and it's good for you. I'll tell you what, you eat it with some peanut butter, banana, a little drizzle of honey. Oh, man, it is so good. Instead of the chocolate, instead of that stuff that maybe that's not so good for you, try honey. And uh, I do that in my coffee. And it basically he's saying, hey, it's okay to eat. It's good. It tastes good. Uh, but then he, he compares it to the word. But so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect. You know, um, just like your body would like the sweets and the honey is good for you, this is what we're doing tonight. You know, again, and I don't know your guys' hearts. I don't know for sure where you are, you know, people who are watching. I'm not sure why you're really watching. But if you're here, 
And if you're watching, you know, and listening because you want God to teach you, you want God to plant his word in your heart, this is what he's saying right here. If that's how this is to you and you guys doing your devotional time, you guys listening to Bible studies, whatever the case may be, fellowshipping and talking about the Lord, he says right here, then if you have found it, there is a prospect and your hope will not be cut off. Basically what he's saying is, um, and again, I don't want you guys to think I'm weird, but I can tell your future. I can tell your future. Not by reading your palm, not by, you know, looking at tea leaves, not by looking at the stars of astrology. I can tell your future by whether or not you love this word. Because that's what he's saying. If, if you found it, if this is your, your honey for your soul, then you have this prospect, you have this future that's beautiful and it will never be cut off. I like what Psalm 37, 37, it says, Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. I love that. You know, you're, you're eating the word, not just because you want to, you know, know stuff. It's because you want to live a certain way. You want to shine a certain way. And when you become that blameless man right here, he says, man, their future is so amazing. Verse 15, he says, Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. No, and, and basically, you got right here this wicked person who says, I'm going to go and ruin the righteous man's life. You know, and I don't know, like, for sure, like, I don't know if it's just him taking stuff or if him, like, he's tempting, not just taking, but tempting, because somehow as a result of this, the, the righteous man falls. You know, maybe the enemy or maybe an instrument of the enemy thinks, I could ruin his life. And so he goes in and he plunders his house and the righteous man falls. But, but the Lord here, what does he say? He says, listen, the righteous man, he's going to fall. He might fall seven times, but he's going to keep getting up. He's going to get, you can't ruin his life. As a matter of fact, you wicked man, when you fall, you're going to stay down one day. And I love this passage, you guys, because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you get up, God will forgive you and God will use you. And when you're God's child, man, I tell you what, the chances are that you will recover. Why? Because God does not give up on us. Because God loves you. I was tripping out today on Abram or Abraham. And I was just like, Lord, this guy had an affair or whatever, went into Hagar, you know, and uh, this committed adultery, really the equivalent of adultery. And, uh, you know, he's, was, I was just thinking, Lord, what was going through Abram's mind when his wife, Sarai, said, have sex with my maidservant and, you know, we can have a, a child from, from, from her, you know, not willing to wait on the Lord. You know, what was going through his mind when he got the temptation? Was he, was he excited about it? Oh, okay, sweetheart, I guess I'll do it. But deep down inside, he's like, 
You know, what was going on in Abram's mind? And then they can't wait. And next thing you know, you know, the Lord then, you know, 13 years later appears to Abram and says, hey, you're going to have a child through Sarai. And Abram's like laughing. No, I'm sure that's not going to happen. I'm like, man, Lord, he was so imperfect. He fell into that sin. Lord, I, I, this guy is the father of the faith. And I, I'm, just, I'm not telling you guys to go into sin with eyes wide open. I'm not telling you this, you know, so that, you know, you can go forward into your sin. All I'm saying is that if that's behind you, I just want to encourage you to know that the grace of God is so amazing and he can still use your life. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And that righteous man, he may fall seven times 70. Again, not a license to sin, but I'm just telling you, the grace of God is strong. And once that understanding of, wow, I am forgiven, when that hits home, it, it just, it changes us. And that's why I, I love this verse. The wicked, it's a lot different. It says, the wicked shall fall and stay down by calamity. Verse 17, it says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn his wrath from them. And so, you know, I don't know if you can necessarily change the way you feel inside. Hopefully you can, but you've got an enemy, they've been coming against you. You know, I have enemies. I have people every single, for every single study, they put thumbs down. I, I have enemies. You know, they make comments. They attack me. I mean, in so many different ways. And, you know, like there's a part of your flesh that just wishes, you know, they would die or something, you know. But <laughs> as a Christian, you know, you just wake up and you're like, Lord, save them. Lord, deal with them. Lord, um, you show mercy on them. Because if something happens to them and you rejoice and you're all happy about it, who knows? Maybe what he's talking about right here is that you, you know, you come against them or whatever, you uh, contribute to their, you know, calamity, then you kind of got in the way of what God wanted to do. The Bible says uh, the vengeance is his. And so we need to give place to let the Lord do what he's going to do to people. So don't rejoice when something bad happens to them. Verse 19, it says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And, and that's similar to what we read earlier. You know, don't even, you guys, I'm telling you this, man. Open your eyes to the way the Lord has blessed you. Open your eyes. And I think if you do, you will be overwhelmed. I, I, I just, to me, when I spend time with the Lord, I thank the Lord. In the, I can just thank him for my chanclas, thank him for my new sweats, for my blanket. I'm out here in my garage. I have a place to spend time with the Lord. I just start thanking him for my wife, my kids, just everything. And if you want to, you can see it. There is no reason to be envious of any, well, they have this and that. Well, in God's perfect timing, he's going to give you 
the desires of your heart. Just make sure those desires are lined up with the Lord. Verse 21, he says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. And so there is that aspect of uh, uh, you know, a healthy reverence and fear of God, and, and even the king, right? Those in positions of authority, Romans 13 says we are to be submissive uh, to them. You know, some people, they're given to change and they want to start a mutiny and God just says, you know, I use wisdom because uh, those people that are in that camp, um, you know, their calamity is going to come suddenly. God wants us to have that heart of a healthy fear and a healthy submission. Verse 23, it says, These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. And you guys have seen it, huh? As you've gone through the scriptures, one of the most important things uh, God it communicates, and one of the things he had a problem with, with the Jews in the Old Testament, was a lack of justice. And so God is just saying, make sure you have that heart, that you don't show partiality. And partiality can manifest its head in so many different ways for so many different reasons. Someone might be your friend, or someone might, you know, be a good, you know, whatever. They've got a lot of money. Um, it could even, it can be, you know, like James talks about, the rich man comes in, and and you see him, and whatever, he drove up in a, in a Bentley, and you see the Rolex on his, on his hand, and he's got really nice clothes or whatever, good-looking him or her, and so you're like, hey, how you doing? Welcome to Calvary Chapel Almani. Here, I have a special place for you up in the front, and you can come and check it out. And then someone else comes in, raggedy, smelly, whatever it might be, and you're like, wow, you know what, I don't know. Well, here, let me get a metal chair, and you can sit in the back because, you know, these are new chairs and all that. Or whatever, you know, just injustice, in decisions that we make. God is saying, no way, never. And sometimes, to be honest, and, and I know I need to be careful, but, but even like family or friends, no, it's always, we always got to be fair. No partiality. God is not a respecter of persons. Verse 26, it says, He who gives a right answer uh, kisses the lips. And, you know, every once in a while, huh, we're able to, to share the right word in the right way at the right time, or someone answers us, you know, for, for counsel, and God just gives you that wisdom from above. How, what a beautiful thing that is. And it's almost like an, an expression of love. It's cool when God gives us that. Verse 27, it says, Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. And it's kind of cool when you look at this right here and you see basically what he's saying in one sense is make sure you have an income um, because if you start building and if you don't have enough money to finish, it's going to be a little embarrassing. So it's kind of cool just the way that God gives us even practical priorities in life. 
Verse 28, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause. For would you deceive with your lips? Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. And, you know, that's the way of the world, huh? Um, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Maybe in one sense, in a civil sense, uh, those are some of the laws that we need to have. But in a personal sense, we, um, when they slap us on one cheek, we turn the other. We show a lot of grace. And so what he's talking about right here is, um, you know, you don't come against your neighbor you know, without a valid cause. I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, are like that because they want to get the upper hand. You know, Jesus talks about this, how we don't, you know, work this way. You know, we show grace. We are like our Father. You know, we love our enemies. And then in verse 30, he says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now again, of course, you guys, we have to take this in its literal, practical sense. Um, you know, we got to be, we got to make sure that we are not lazy. And there's a lot of guys and, and girls too. You know, they're just at the end of the day, they're they're lazy, and you see it. The evidence is there, whether it be the the grown weeds, the broken down walls, things that are dilapidating. You know, around the house and. You know, the reason why, and I'll be the first to admit, uh, sometimes I make excuses or I think it's too cold. I'll wait until spring or something like that, you know, and God just says, no way. Uh, tomorrow you're going to Home Depot after I read this. I'm like, okay, Lord. <laughs> you know, but seriously, you know, um, it's sad. There's a lot of lazy people. And, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, it's, in God's eyes, he talks a lot about it in the Proverbs. No way. We should be working hard. But, but of course, I always come back, and I don't want to take away from any of that, you guys. We all have to examine our own lives. You know, some people, they're just watching TV. They're sleeping on the couch. Uh, they're just cruising through life in a practical sense. But then I think many people are also doing it in a spiritual sense. And you, and you look at their field, and it is barren. There is no fruit on the vine. That we look at their wall of protection around their life and it's all broken down and the enemy's having a field day with them. Why? Why? Because they're lazy. A lot of times they're lazy. They can't get blanket victory. When God calls them to pray, they'd rather play. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we end up doing and, and I know for me, I always have to re-examine my schedule and say, okay, Lord, what are my priorities? And the Bible talks about laboring hard in the Word. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. But not I, but the grace of God that was in me. And so, you know, we should have that heart, especially considering 
the days that we're living in, you guys. These are not days to put it in spiritual cruise control. These are days to work out your salvation. The Bible says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So what that verse means is that when you got saved, God saved you to serve. When you got saved, God saved you with a purpose. And so you, we should work out that salvation. And as we're working out that salvation, how do we do it? With fear and trembling. I mean, with like, you know, trepidation, with like seriousness, with soberness. Like, wow, this is serious stuff. I think sometimes people even take their gifts and their talents and the things in the ministry, and even that is taken so casually. And God says, no, I made you a pillar. You know, I, this is your portion. You know, the, the, the priests, they didn't get to have land. The Lord was their portion. So work it out with fear and trembling. Why? Because, because it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And that's, you know, such an amazing thing. The beautiful thing about it, you guys, is the Lord is so good, is that when he calls you into ministry, where he calls you into life, and if you're open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're going to find that these are things actually that I want to do. Because God put the desire there. You know, Ephesians 2 is the parallel passage. It says, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, it's a gift of God, not less of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, which God, you know, prepared beforehand, good works that he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And so we're his workmanship, we're his, you know, poema. God has these works all laid out in front of us. My prayer is that we would, you know, work hard, be industrious to walk in them and watch what God will do. I'll bet you almost anything, you guys, if we step it up a little bit, if we say, Lord, help me, you know, maybe you've been watching a little bit too much television or maybe a lot of too much television. Um, maybe, you know, it's like, okay, we have to have a little bit of leisure, maybe a lot of leisure, a lot of entertainment. I don't know what the thing is that gets in the way, um, but I do encourage you um, to really serve the Lord with it the reckless abandon. When I got saved, I heard that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. I know it's an old song, but it was uh, called uh, The Great Adventure. And it's a beautiful song Just said, it says, here we go, Lord. I'm going to serve you, and I know it's going to be a great adventure.